Hi, this is Ryan Roberts, and welcome to The Millennial Preacher. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope it's both encouraging and challenging in all the right ways. We're excited about today's show, so let's get going. I want to preach a sermon to you called Fool's Gold. Say Fool's Gold. I just want to know you're here. There we go. That's so good. If you have a Bible, turn to Numbers 14. If you don't have a Bible, i got a big giant one right behind me. When you got it, say you got it. Starting in verse 1. Then the whole community broke into loud cries. And the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why is this Lord bringing us into the land to die by the sword? Our wives and our little children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, back to bondage? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down on their faces to the, in the ground in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Josiah, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehoiphim, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire community, the land we passed through and explored is extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land and a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection has removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole Israelite community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared all to all the Israelites at the tent meeting. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust me, despite all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. Then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are. But Moses replied to the Lord. Don't you love Moses? The Egyptians will hear about it, for by your strength, you brought up these people from them. They will tell it on the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. How you, Lord, are seen face to face. How your cloud stands over them and how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you kill these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your name, your fame, will declare, since the Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land, he swore to give them. He has slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now may, by, may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. The Lord is slow to anger and rich in faithful love, forever forgiving wrongdoing and rebellion. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing these consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the wrongdoing of these people and keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. Verse 20, the Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you, you requested. Yet as surely as I live, as the whole earth is filled with Lord, the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb, who has a different spirit, has followed me completely. I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Father, this is your word. 
God, if we don't get up here and preach and sing with you, within us, around us, and for you, it's worthless. So God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will touch my tongue right now, that it may not be my words, but your words, God. Lord, I'm just a humble servant, a vessel, nothing more. God, I pray, Lord, you'll teach every single one of us something this morning. God, so that we can fall deeper and deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some context, because that was a whole lot. Here's what's going on. We're talking about the Israelite community, the Jewish people. This is pre-cross, pre-Jesus, after they exited Egypt. They know they're going into a promised land at some point. They just don't know when they're going to get there. And they finally get close to the land where they can actually see it in the distance. Can you imagine? They can see the freedom. They can see the good fruit of the land. They can see that there's something over there that belongs to them. And so they send some uh, spies out to go see out the land, see what's going on. And the spies come back and they said that there's giants in the land. There's great grapes. They're huge. They're giant. But there's giants in the land. There's something in the way of our blessing. There's something trying to block us to prevent us from going over there. And I love that out of all the spies, there was two that said, we are promised that. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us because it's an inheritance. It's something that can't be taken away from us. We are God's children. But the whole camp complained. And you know what they did? Let's go back to bondage. Let's go back to garbage. Let's go back and be slaves because at least they were feeding us. Let's go back and do that. Let's just get rid of these God-appointed leaders. Let's just forget everything they said. Let's forget the whole promised land story and let's go back. And the Lord was not happy. After they tested him 10 times, he said, I'll just do away with the, all these people. I'll raise up a new people. They'll be even better than before. I'm going to get rid of this group. And Moses, the leader, said, oh, but God, I know you're merciful, you're wonderful, you're great. Lord, please don't destroy these people. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Don't Just remember, Lord, everyone's watching. Everyone knows we're your people. And I love how the Lord responds, I have pardoned them as you requested. But what did he say? A whole generation will die off. But my servant Caleb, who has a different spirit, has followed me completely. I will bring him into the land where he has gone, and his descendants will inherit it. I love Caleb because I believe Caleb was the first youth pastor. Can you imagine? A whole generation died off. But their children had to be raised by someone who believed in the full gospel. Who believed in the promises of God. I can just imagine the little babies growing up and, and Caleb's over there saying, I, I, I just want to tell you a story. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, there's something over there and it belongs to you. I'm telling you, there's something good over there. There's something that's going to change your whole life. No more in tents, no more in wilderness. We will have our own land and we will be God's people. Can you imagine he had to remind them of that? Studies suggest that it was about 40 or so years that he had to keep reminding the children this to the point when they were adults 
and he was in his 80s. And he, every day I can just see him. Please, I'm telling you it's real. I'm telling you it's real. I'm telling you God, God's real. I'm telling you there's something better. It's just right over there. Just keep going, keep going. Come on, keep, keep, keep obeying the tenets of God. Keep, keep, keep trying your best. I promise we're going to get there. I love Caleb, the first youth pastor. There was a study that, that was done. A sociologist, Anthony Campolo, tells about a study in which 50 people over the age of 95 were asked, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? From their answers, there were very many, but there were three that emerged the most common. Number one, if I had to do it over again, I would reflect more. Number two, if I had to do it over again, I would risk more. And number three, most important for today, if I had to do it over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. So this morning, I'm talking to you about an inheritance. I'm talking to you about something that if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, a born-again believer, you and I have an inheritance that's better than a promised land. There's something, something even greater that we can possess. See, I believe that Jesus said the kingdom is now at hand. I don't have to wait to get to the streets of gold. I have an inheritance today. That's a good place to say amen. That's what we're talking about. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but I know there's something that we all understand. We understand that gold is a tangible example of an inheritance, yes? So I'm going to do a play on of words and I've got some gold bricks over here that are your inheritance. I want to give you some examples of gold in the Bible because I believe that, that God likes the illustration of gold. The value of God's word, wisdom, and judgment, that's Job 28, Psalms 19, Psalms 119, Psalms 128, Proverbs 3, all talks about God's word as gold. The pure foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, Revelation 3.18. The sanctification or purifying of one's faith, amen. Job 23, Psalm 66, Zechariah 13, Isaiah 48. The value of a person to God, 1 Peter 1, 18-19. The object of man's idolatry. Exodus 20, 23, Psalms 115, it goes on and on. The object of wasteful desires of men, Ecclesiastes 2, 8 through 11, 1 Timothy 6. The representation of the Babylonian Empire, Isaiah 14, Daniel 3, and Daniel 2. The impurities in gold represents an impure heart in Ezekiel 22, 19. The deeds motivated by the love of God and the love of our neighbor, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Do you see what I'm getting at? Gold is a representation of gifts from God and how we are to live for him. Gold accumulated by man is worthless. It can't go with you. It'll disappear. Zechariah 14, 14, Ezekiel 16 through 19, and Revelation 18, 9 through 16. But there's heavenly gold. Revelation 21, 21 reads this way, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, 
every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as if it were transparent glass. See, I believe that God likes to use things that we can understand in our human minds because we're human. And God owns everything, so he owns the gold that we have. But to God, a, a gold brick of that size would probably be worth a lot of money. But to God, he owns all of it, that it's as if it's worthless in human form. But there's heavenly gold. That's what we're getting at today. Are you with me? Anybody else? Okay. The very first mention of gold is in Genesis 2.12. The KJV reads this way, and the gold of that land is good. That's the very first mention of gold in the beginning. It's mentioned as money in the KJV Bible. It's mentioned 417 different times. Silver, 320. And the word money, 140 times. Not once does the Bible mention a paper currency. Gold is rare. Even in biblical times, it gave it monetary value because it was rare. It was hard to find. If you find it, you better hold on to it. It lasts. The color and luster of gold will be resistant to tarnishing. The Bible often mentions kings and queens paid in gold and silver. It represents wealth, wisdom, and faith. God instructed the Israelites, to construct the tabernacle and Solomon's temple with gold. King David set aside 100,000 talents of gold. Can you imagine? Can you, can you just imagine with me for a moment all of that gold? Its tangible wealth has always been based, uh, the tangible wealth has always been based on the possession of gold and silver throughout history. Gold and silver have been actual wealth as opposed to currencies made of various destructible objects. Gold matters. In biblical times, gold's primary purpose, and it still should be, storage for wealth and value, and silver's purpose, and still should be, used for daily trade. Don't we do that? Gold is still valuable. But I love, I love that Jesus talks about worldly wealth in Matthew 6. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to talk about some spiritual gold. You can clap for that. I have this super cheesy illustration, but steady, studies suggest that you only remember 30% of what you hear, hear, that is if you're listening. So I have this really super cheesy example, and I need Nick to help me out. What I have right here is the Edge Church. See how I got our mission on there? This is the Edge Church. And I believe that every single one of us as children of God have a promised inheritance. We have some gold over here. And we should be using those gifts, those talents, that freedom that we found, our testimony, our story, to be fueling our passion, our zeal for the church. Big C. So everything that we accumulate that spiritual should be placed in, in, in the church box. 
I want to show you some of these. Nick, you can help me hand these to me. Here's one. Victory over all things. I put a Bible verse on there so you'd believe me. Romans 8, 37 through 39. That one says power and strength. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. That one got stuck. It was good gold. All needs taken care of. Philippians 4.19. Somebody should be praising. Oh, this one. This one's a good one. Eternal life. Romans 6.23. Good plans. Jeremiah 29.11. Rest, amen. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29. Don't be ashamed to take a rest. God promised it to you. It's okay to sit down, just get back up. Peace of mind, John 14, 27. Just hold that one. God promised us some stuff. And here's the thing. Every time we put a new gold brick, this is just some of the promises, by the way. Every time we put a new gold brick in this, it starts to get kind of heavy. And it's not so easy to pull it by myself anymore. It's a little bit more difficult. But if I had some help, if I had some help, even someone that may not look like she can lift very much, if I had a little help in the spiritual realm, she's real strong. And we can pull it a little bit further down the line. Thank you, Pastor Brooke. But let me tell you something. There's fool's gold too. I remember when I was growing up, my great-grandparents had a creek right in front of their house and it had fool's gold in it. As a kid, it was the coolest thing in the world. Because, oh, I got gold. No, you don't. It's worthless. It looks like gold, but it won't last. So on the other side of these boxes, I've got some fool's gold. Robbed of joy. John 10.10. It tries to look like gold, see? But there's something off about it. Go ahead and put that one in the box. That box. Opposite of God's plans. Let's see what we have. Living life our way, not his way. Hebrews 10, 26. Oh, I just want to hold on to it. It's okay. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Weakness. Opposite of strength. Isaiah 40, 30 through 31. Oh, you're not. You'll never make it. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to be a single mom raising three kids. Confusion, 1 Peter 5, 8. You know what? I am a youth pastor. I hang out with a lot of kids, right? I've met, hopefully, I've met a lot of teenagers that struggle with all sorts of stuff that they will never tell their parents. The truth is, it's not really an identity. It's that there's an identity issue. There's a confusion in the mind that the enemy is confusing them with, with thoughts, feelings, all these different things. Are they possessed? Absolutely not. That's crazy. If they're a child of God, they can't be possessed. However, the enemy can whisper. Confusion of mind is a big one that we're seeing in society today. No one wants to read the Bible. No one wants to listen to the truth. They'd rather just be confused. Opposite of all needs taken care of, let's see what we got. A poor mindset. I ain't just talking about money. I'm talking about every day you get up, man, I'm getting old. I ain't going to be able to walk much more. And you're 30. 
Be careful what your confessions are. You know, I've met a lot of Pentecostal pastors, preachers, evangelists, prophets, I don't know, whatever. And all of them will tell you to watch your confessions. Well, you know, for a long time I thought, do we really have that much power in our tongue? And then I remembered that God birthed the whole universe and the whole world with just words. So your words, my words, have a lot of value and a lot of weight to what happens. Am I saying you're going to be perfect every day? Am I saying if you don't feel well, you shouldn't go to the doctor? Of course I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be careful what you speak over yourself, over your kids, over your spouse, and over your church. Let's see what's the opposite of eternal life. Death. You know, I've met a lot of Christians, not lost people, Christians, that speak death more than lost people ever have. Well, we'll never, we'll never be able to pay off this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever find a children's pastor. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'll ever find my, my wife because I'm starting to get on up there and it just feels weird because I live in the South and everybody in the South is married by 20. <laughs> I'm looking, by the way, praying. That's better. Speaking death over a situation that God brought to life. You know, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you are no longer a dead man walking around. That's how the Bible describes a lost person. Death no longer is on the tip of your tongue. I don't care if you're 90 years old. Keep speaking life into your situation. Because the truth is, church, you have eternal life, a free gift from God. See, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know my Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't know what it'll be like. I was listening to, I don't know, some preacher. And he said, man, can you imagine? Have you ever been under anesthesia? Okay, a couple of you have, so you know what it's like. You know anesthesia? I had shoulder surgery last summer, I think it was. I don't even remember now. Or this summer, I don't know. When you go under anesthesia, it's the craziest thing. They take you back there, and, and they've got the IV in your arm, and you're like looking up at lights, and it's weird and awkward. And they start giving you the medication. They say, well, you're going to be asleep. You're going to have good sleep. They always like to make fun of you before you go under surgery. At least they do me. And they say, you're going to be asleep in about 10 seconds. And I'm like, I... And then I'm just out. And it's like one second later, you're awake in a recovery room and they're saying everything went well. And you're like, that was three hours or whatever? I don't know what death is like. I'm not saying that. The Bible's not extremely clear on exactly what death will be like with us. But I'm telling you something. I just hope and pray that it's so simple and peaceful and easy that it's just like one second, I'm in heaven. There I am face to face with my God. Oh, we got one more, the opposite of rest. Anxiety. Let me, anxiety. Let me just be honest. Can I be transparent? We've had a lot of transparency today. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, pastor. Because not, not all worship teams are like that, FYI. But let me be transparent. I've struggled with this for a long time. Even this morning, I, I went to get coffee with Nick, and I'm, I'm in the truck, and I'm like, man, I don't know about this message. I was up all night long thinking about it, thinking about this illustration. Is it going to be cheesy? Is it going to be 
too this, too that? Are they not going to get it? They're not going to understand it. Can I not do this thing? That is a lie from hell. See, the enemy, let me tell you his greatest trick on any Christian. His greatest trick is to try to convince you that this is going to happen this way. That's not going to happen this way. You're going to be messed up, bound, stuck, jacked up, confused for the rest of your life. That's all he has on you. He cannot make me and you do anything. He can't do any of those things, but he can remind you of stuff. He can try to pull you back under that water that, that Chris was talking about this morning. But let me tell you, he's lost all authority. He's lost all power. He's not anything. They call him the God of this world, but he's not really because Jesus got the keys. And if we are Christians, we have an inheritance as adopted sons and daughters of God. So that means that we have access to the keys in Jesus' name. So this whole anxiety thing is garbage. But here's the thing. We filled our church with it. Uh Uh-oh. Amen or oh no. Listen, I'm, I'm just as guilty. I ain't pointing the finger at nobody. I'll point it at myself. But when we fill this up with fool's gold and not real gold, we get so concentrated on the mess and the garbage inside of the church that we're not able to go anywhere anymore. There are people that need the edge church. Now listen, are we in competition with the church down the road? Absolutely not because we're all part of the same church. I don't care about your denomination. Great. woo I'll celebrate it with you. I don't care about your theological differences. People have been arguing about when, are we going to see the apocalypse? Or are we going to be taken up then? Are we I am not part of the planning committee. I'm part of the welcoming committee. That's good. Retreat. That's worth the price of admission. Here's the thing. I've heard a lot of preachers talk about a legacy that they're trying to leave behind. Thank you, Nick. I've heard a lot of preachers talk about this great, wonderful legacy, and I had one preacher who I love dearly, and I still love him dearly, tell, told me one time that, man, I'm getting old, and I'm, I've got to pass this thing down to somebody, and I want that to be you. And I'm like, you're not even that old. You're like 50. Am I supposed to wait 30 years or whatever? No. I'm not worried about the legacy of Little C Church because there's a greater one. There's, there, there's a greater one. See, here's the thing. You want to be a part of something special? You want to be a part of something that's really making a name for itself? You want to be a part of a movement? I hear people my age and younger talking about, I just want to be a part of something that's going to matter, make a difference. Well, guess what? You and I have a free invitation to be a part of the greatest legacy of all time that's been going for over 2,000 years. How's that for a legacy? Y'all can clap for that one. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with the story that I read at the very beginning? I love how the Bible just ties everything back together. Psalm 105. You know, Psalms was a book of songs that was praising and worshiping God. It's poetic. In Psalm 105, it's super long, I won't read the whole thing, but 37 through 45 says this. 
Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold. And no one among his tribes stumbled. Egypt was glad when they left. (laughs) For the dead of Israel had fallen on them. The dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread a cloud as a covering and gave a fire to light up the night. They asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread from heaven. He opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert for he remembered his holy promise to Abraham, his servant. He brought his people out with rejoicing. He chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations and they inherited what other people had worked for. All this happened so that they might keep his statues and obey his instructions. Hallelujah. See, most of the Psalms bring into remembrance of things God did. And most of the Psalms are written by David, not all of them, but most of them was written by David who came years later. And David fought many battles, many wars. He was a bloody king. He struggled, he had problems, he had issues, he was a womanizer, but he's known as the man after God's own heart. And this psalm brought into remembrance of the time in the wilderness when a whole generation died off and they wanted to go back to Egypt. But what does the Bible say? Egypt was glad that they were gone. Let me ask you a question, Christian, Pastor, Ryan. Are you living your life in such a way that makes the devil so unhappy that he's glad to see you gone? And then finally in in those verses he says, and then they were brought into a land which was their inheritance that somebody else worked for. Who's our somebody? Who's the guy who worked for us? Let me tell you, his name is Jesus. See, Jesus was the son of God. You may or may not believe that. It's okay. You're in the right place either way. But Jesus Christ was perfect. He was the one who was meant to inherit all that God had, not just land, not just a kingdom, not just a throne, all of the promises. And Jesus knew That God so loved his creation, he so loved me and you, that he was willing to give up everything. He was willing to bankrupt heaven so it's all available to me and you. And we can come into a place like this and worship him and praise him. That's why our team is so passionate. Because they know They know where they were, but they learned that they have an inheritance given by God. Jesus was the one that worked for yours and mine inheritance. And we don't deserve it. I'm not Jewish. I'm not in that club. But he sent a son, and when they didn't receive him all those years ago, he said, well, go find the Gentiles, go find the people that aren't Jewish people, go find them, and I bet you they'll receive it and they'll get it. And that's why we're standing here on Price Road. So what am I saying? And I'm I'm closing. We have a job to do 
if you're a Christian, we have a job to do. We need you. We're all in this together. It's not just about the pastoral team. No. We're not doing it so we can sell a bunch of books or something. No, 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 no. We're here together to accomplish not the edge mission. That's that's a big part of who we are, but ultimately to accomplish the kingdom mission. We don't want to build a castle on Price Road. Now, I love the local church. I love this place. I want this place to grow and expand and us to have to build on and all those things. And I believe it will happen in Jesus' name. However, at the end of the day, this castle and all castles, no matter how big, small, or in the middle they are, will crumble like dust and there will be a kingdom left. I want to be part of that kingdom. And I hope you do too. So, if, if, if you were experiencing some of those fool's gold issues, it's okay. It's okay. But let's work together to get them out. Let's work together to get better. We're not going to be perfect. Let's work together to get more and more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. Big fancy word, I know. But all it means is we're becoming more like Him. Because He set us free. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor. I want you to know how much I love you, not because I have to, but because God loves you. Jesus loves you. At the end of my life, when I'm the one face to face with him, what will I say? I've been thinking about that for a long time. I want to hear good job, but what will I say? I hope and I pray in that moment I'll say, Jesus I tried my very best. You just listened to the Millennial Preacher Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you'll listen to us again next week and hit that subscribe button. You can find new episodes every weekend right here at the Millennial Preacher. Until then, we'll see you later.